Uh, I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles to First uh, John chapter 4 is where we're going to spend our time. We, uh, kids, as you leave uh, the room each week and go out to your, the clubhouse and into your classes and small group times, uh, I'm one of the pastors that gets to hang out here with your parents, grandparents, and uh, we've been talking and learning from a book of the Bible this summer uh, called First John. And it's written by a guy named John. Uh, John was one of Jesus' disciples, one of his followers, and he wrote a few books, uh, four, uh, five, excuse me, that we have uh, in the Bible. And um, so 1 John is one of the letters that he wrote that we get to learn from uh, even today. And love for you to have it open uh, in front of you. And I just want to start by saying, what a few weeks it's been for our nation. Huh? There's been a lot of troubling things that we have seen um, on TV, on the internet, headlines, protests, violence, hatred. And I communicated uh, in an email earlier this week, but just even want to say it publicly um, here in our service today, that I just want to let you know that, that and I think you know this, but just it's always good to say these things, uh, make sure there's no assumptions, that white supremacy in any form is evil. Amen. It's evil. That's what it is. And, 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 to, and it really has no place in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. I, I, don't, I, I don't know how to reconcile someone having that mindset and those views and living out those actions and being a follower of Jesus. I, I don't know how to reconcile those two things. And honestly, as I, it, just one thought here, as I think about those that have that perspective and mindset and are living and, and, and doing those types of things, I don't think they would like Jesus. Because Jesus wasn't blonde hair, blue eyes guy, fair-skinned guy. I don't think they'd like that Jesus. They like the real Jesus. So I just want to say that. And, and, and just these, these situations, these news stories, these pictures and videos and headlines and, and all that's going on, they, they bring a few things to the surface. So many things. I'll just say that. Many things. But just I want to just mention two, and one will lead us into where we're going today, but in God's Word. But, but the first is this. It brings to the surface again the reminder that racism is alive. It's alive. And that's, that, that's, that's important for us because some people, when we bring up and we talk about this topic, they don't want to go there. They, they say it's a, it's an, it was an issue of the past. It's not today. Um, there, were, you know, there, were, there are new laws and the civil rights movement, and, and I agree, there are new laws, and the civil rights movement has done wonderful things, taken great strides towards greater equality. But what we've seen in the news just over these last few weeks reminds us that racism is alive. It might take on different forms, and it does, that we don't maybe see. It's not as obvious as what we saw these last couple weeks. But it's alive. And then why is that important? I read this study just last year, actually shared this stat with, with us as a church family in December of just last year. Uh, it was done, the research was done by the Barna Group, George Barna, and they do a lot of research related to faith and culture and leadership in the church. And it's a great resource, great website. They publish books and articles and a lot of resources. But they studied racism. In the church, like what are, what are people's thoughts, the followers of Jesus... What are their thoughts about these things? And here's what 
one of their studies discovered. When asked specifically about racism, and here's how they define racism, prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. So that's how they define racism. Here's what their study found. Evangelicals are almost twice as likely than the general population to agree strongly that racism is mostly a problem of the past and not a present reality. That's not asking people who are not in church today, who don't read the Bible today. That's asking the church. And the general the church is almost twice as likely to say it's a problem of the past. So we have to continue to educate ourselves. We have to continue to press into these things. We have to keep talking about these things. Hope Church, we're going to keep talking about this because it's a big deal and it's an issue. And the gospel defines how we're to live and how we're to love all people. So we'll keep talking about it. And the work to be done isn't just stuff out there, but there's stuff in all of us. There's feelings, as I was just contemplating, thinking about what I was seeing on the TV, it's easy for me to point fingers at that stuff happening in Charlottesville and, and people carrying those torches like it's them. But if I'm honest, there are sometimes feelings of superiority in my own heart that I have to deal with. So it's not just out there. There's also stuff in here for all of us. So that's one thing it brings to the surface. The second is this. I think... Uh, news stories and images and videos like we've seen over these last few weeks remind all of us, it should remind all of us of the important role that the church plays to model how, what does it look like to love one another? To love one another. That's what we're going to talk about today. And I know loving one another, like you say, that's, like that's elementary, that's basic, like that's 101 type stuff. Christianity, 101. Love one another. Yes, but, but these events cause us to realize people struggle to love one another. Love all people. People that are different than you. Look different than you. Believe different things. And, and, and we have an opportunity as the church to provide an example of what does it look like to love in the midst of diversity. To love people that aren't like me, that look different than me, that are different ages than me, socioeconomic status than me, gender, like whatever they might be, they're different than me, different backgrounds and experiences, but yet in Christ we come together and we love one another and the world watches. And the reality we have to admit is sometimes the world doesn't get a good picture when they look at the church. What does it look like? To, and sometimes the church looks just like the world. And that's why this very basic, like first grade type level of like what we're talking about today as it relates to Christianity is still important. Because I think these events have reminded me again of the important role we have as the church to love one another and to show people what does love, genuine, authentic, real love look like. 
And that's where John goes, and that's where we're going to go today. We're going to talk about this theme. But before we get there, we have to uh, talk about a few other things in First John chapter 4, the first few verses, uh, first six verses. Uh, before we get to this theme of loving one another, John, uh, again, is addressing a church that is, that is being ripped apart by divisions. The, the, some people are leaving. Some people are teaching things that are not right about Jesus. And so John is writing to them to encourage and help them and help them understand, how do you, who do you listen listen to when they're teaching? How do you know what they're saying is right? And should you believe it? And John is addressing that. What does it look like to test the spirits, test the prophets, test the teachers, test what is being taught? And that's where John goes before we get to, and we're going to move through this pretty quickly and, and, and moving through it quickly. I'm not saying this is unimportant, <laughs> But I want us to get to the, what John says after these verses. So, so John really lays out um, um, two tests, or I'm going to put them in two question forms. How do you know? Like John is, how do you know who to listen to? What, they're say, what are the tests? What's the criteria that you put their teaching up against? To know, is this true or is this false? And there's, there's a lot of different things, but John just lays out two. Specifically in the context of the church, of the body of Christ, what is it, how do you evaluate? And the first question is this, what do they say about Jesus? What do these teachers, what do these prophets, what do these people that are coming in, in this context, in 1 John, there's nothing like this gathering. Like they're not in a, in a big building gathering. They're probably uh, most likely meeting in homes uh, scattered throughout the city. So people, prophets, teachers would come to these homes and they would teach. And, and so John is saying, you need to evaluate what you're hearing. So first question, first test, if you will, is what do these people say about Jesus? And that's where John goes in verse one of chapter four. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So these spirits that we're testing, they're not just these like spirits that are up in the air somewhere, but they're in people, Amen. in prophets, and in, in, in they've taken, you know, they're in a person. And you're trying to discern what is the spirit that that person is teaching with. Do they have the spirit of God or do they not have the spirit of God? And that's what John is addressing. And in verse 2, he says, this is how you recognize the Spirit of God in a person, teaching. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is from God, uh, every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit, he says, of the Antichrist. Those who, the spirit of the Antichrist is the one that diminishes or, or minimizes the role of Jesus, the person of Jesus. That's the spirit behind the Antichrist. Which you have heard is coming, the Antichrist, and even now is already in the world. Verse 2 is important. What do they say about Jesus? If they say, if the Spirit acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh, it is from God. John, again, I think is addressing a very specific issue because in 1 John, the people, some of the people are saying Jesus did not take on skin and bones, flesh. He didn't become a man. That Jesus of Nazareth was just a man, but he was not fully divine and fully God at the same time. And John is saying, if anyone teaches that, that Jesus did not become a man, 
He does not have the Spirit of God in him. And John would say it's not just they're teaching it, but they're aligning or they're living their lives based on this. So when you hear people teach, what John would say, who, what do they say about Jesus? Do they diminish him? Do they minimize him? Do they say uh, salvation comes in various forms? You can be saved many ways, Jesus being one of them. Or are they saying Jesus did come in the flesh and salvation only comes through him and he is fully divine and fully man at the very same time? What do they say about Jesus? And the second question, the second test, if you will, is what does the world think about them? And we'll define world. Uh, so understand what John is saying there. But let me read verses 4 through 6. It says, you dear children are from God. John, over and over and over again, he's reassuring them that they are in Christ. Because people are saying, the context, they're saying, you're not in Christ. You're not a Christian. You can't believe what you believe. So John, throughout his letter, is reassuring them, you are from God and you have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. They are from the world. And we'll define how John, what John means by world. What is the group that he's talking about there? They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the, this is key. And the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how you recognize whether it's the spirit of truth or the spirit of falsehood. What does the world think about them? Does the world listen to them? And what John means when he, just in this context, uses the word world, it, it's people who, who do not know Jesus yet as their Lord and Savior. They haven't surrendered or submitted or aligned their lives to him and his lordship and are trying to live out their faith through him. John is saying it's people outside of a relationship with Christ. That's the world. And if the world says, that is great what you're teaching. I believe that about Jesus. He he didn't become a man. He isn't God. You can live however you want to live. And if they align their lives with that form of teaching, John would say that's how you know if it's a spirit of falsehood or a spirit of truth. What, does, what do they say about Jesus? And what does the world think about them? And these are just two tests. Two ways that John brings up ways to test these spirit of the prophets that are teaching there in that context. I want to be honest with you. There's a lot of like, okay, questions like, how does this like practically play out? And, and, and again, the context that John is writing to, the teaching was happening probably in a house, in the presence of someone. You think today, you can today, this afternoon, if you wanted to, you could get on the computer and you could listen to a sermon from a person in another country. So, so you can, you're, you're, our, our exposure to teaching is so much broader today. But again, I think what John is addressing is those that are in your local context, the teaching that is happening in your presence. How do you evaluate it? And so just two thoughts about application. Like what does this maybe look like to, to live out these tests? For two things, community and conversations. This type of discernment I believe happens best in the context of community. A few people talking together about you. You heard the same teaching. 
Now, together as a community, if you have concerns, you discern that in community. John doesn't write to just individuals, but he wrote to a community. And I think sometimes we hear these things and we on our own try to discern this and we never ask for the input or discerning spirit of someone else. What did you hear? What do you think? And, and in the midst of community, there's conversations. There's conversations together, but there's also conversations with the person, the teacher, the one who's explaining these things, to ask follow-up questions. What did you think about? What did you mean when you said this? So you, I, I have some concerns. And it's, it's not just hearing it and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going to declare them a false prophet or false teacher. But it's asking them. It's talking with them and hearing their heart. And maybe you just misheard something. But I think just two, two thoughts about application. We do this, we discern best, I think, in community, and we have conversations together. And now it's almost like John makes a sharp right-hand turn in his writing. He goes from talking about false teachers and false prophets and the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood, and now we're making a sharp right-hand turn and talking about loving one another. And that's how John writes. He doesn't write in, a, in necessarily a linear fashion, like just easily unpacks each of these points and moves through them. But he writes in a circular fashion where he keeps bringing things up. And that's what he does today when we think about this theme again of loving one another. We're able to love one another. We can love one another because God is the source of love. God is the source. We can't do this on our own. There has to be an empowerment, a source that you and I are connected to to help us love one another. That's what John says in verse 7. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. There's the idea of source. We don't produce it on our own. We can't manufacture it. We can't willpower it. Positive thinking but it comes from a source. It comes from God. He says, everyone who loves has been born of God. Everyone who loves this way that he's going to talk about has been born of God. They're born again, the type of love. They're living and loving the way he describes here in a moment and does know God. Whoever does not love, and again, does not love like this, does not know God. Why? Because God is love. It's his essence, it's his nature, it's his character, it's who he is. He's love. And John even repeats that. And uh, in, well, not, uh, let's read me read verse 13 first. It says, We know that we live in him, we're abiding in him, we're remaining in him, we're connected to him, and he in us. Because he has given us of his spirit, the Holy Spirit, the, the third person of the Trinity, the, the God in the Holy Spirit for in us. We'll come back to that in a moment, why that's important. And then verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us first. And here it again, John is repeating himself. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. 
He says over and over and over again in this passage, in these short verses, that God is the source of love. God is the one that we have to remain connected to. And he's saying, I'm not asking you to do something I'm not going to give you the power to do. He gave us the Holy Spirit who lives in us and empowers us to love the way God wants us to love. He's the source. When I was growing up, in, my, in the summer months, uh, many times I would go with my dad to work. My dad's in the construction field and his vinyl siding and windows and all those types of things. And I would go with him and we'd, he, we'd set up the job site. We'd set up the staging. We'd set up the ladders. We'd set up the saw. We'd set up, get all the tools out that we needed and the break for the aluminum and, and all that type of stuff. We'd get going and my dad would, uh, usually was the one up on the staging because I was scared to death of going up on those things. And, and uh, I would wait down on the ground for whatever measurements he needed and those types of things. And and uh, many times you had to cut certain things on the house to make the siding and the aluminum fit. And so we'd send the sawzall, uh, saw up the, up the staging for him to do, the, do his thing. And, and many times he'd pull the trigger after we set up this job site and nothing. And usually his first question to me, yelling down from the staging down to the ground, did you plug it in? And many times realizing I didn't. I didn't, we set it all up and forgot to put that plug in to the outlet or the generator, whatever we were using. A saw, a tool, for any matter, it's electric, will not run unless it's connected to the power source. And friends, you and I need a power source that's greater than ourselves to love one another. We can try on our own to love, will power it, try to do better next time. But I think unless we're really surrendered and dependent and relying on the Holy Spirit to help us love one another, we'll fail again and again and again and again. Or we'll love maybe the way we think love should look. And God says there's another love. There's a divine love that I want people to love with. And we have to remain connected to that source in one gathering a week. We've talked about this before, that just a, just a worship service, one worship service at, at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, this isn't it, friends. If this is your only kind of connection point to God during the week, you will struggle. We will all struggle to love in our homes and love in our workplace and love here in the body of Christ at Hope Church. We have to continue, like Pastor Jim talked to us last week about abiding in Christ, remaining connected to the source. We can only love because he's the source of this love that he wants us to show. We can love because God is the model of love. He's not only the source, he models it. He shows it. He, he, he just doesn't talk about it, but he says, this is what it looks like. Love is never meant to be something we just talk about. As Christians, we can talk a lot about, uh, we could say, I love you and I love you and I care about you, but, but really deep down, it's to be lived out. Love is never meant to be something we just talk about, but it's always meant to be followed up with action. And that's where, that's where John goes. He talks about Jesus being the model, God being the model. In verse 9, it says this, this is how God showed his love. He just didn't say, I love the world. I love everyone. I love people. He just didn't sign it at the end of a letter. Love you. But he showed it. Showed it, and I so appreciate the, the language and love how Jim explained it in that hymn. To explain the love of God would fill, drain the oceans dry, fill the skies. 
This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his only one and only son into the world that we might live his life, his death provided life for us. That's how he showed. He just didn't talk about love, but he sent his one and only son. Gave, sent his one only son to us. In verse 10, it says, this is love. This is, like, when we think of love, we have so many definitions and understanding and descriptions and songs that have been written, but John says that this is love. Not that you and I, that we loved God, that we loved God first, and then he in return loved us, but it's the total opposite. But that he loved us, and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Atoning sacrifice, John has talked about that earlier in his letter. It means wrath satisfying sacrifice. That the sacrifice of Jesus, Jesus Christ satisfied the wrath of God. And that's why you and I can stand righteous before God because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. He demonstrated love. He modeled it. What does love look like? It looks like a lot of things. Paul, when he wrote the letter to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 13, he described what love looks like. I feel like at times weddings have hijacked 1 Corinthians 13. <laughs> Most of the weddings I've officiated, that's usually a part of it. We read through 1 Corinthians 13, and it, it's a very nice, uh, maybe even poetic scripture uh, for the context of the wedding ceremony, a marriage relationship. But, but friends, it's not like 1 Corinthians 13 is not just for the marriage relationship. That's even not, it's interesting because it's not even the context of 1 Corinthians 13. Marriage isn't even there. But what does love look like? Paul helps us know what it looks like, knows what it looks like. It's patient. It's kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It protects, it trusts, it hopes, and it perseveres. That's some description of what, as Paul describes, this is what love looks like in action. I think all of us as parents have had those moments where we've done something that we know our kids should not see us do. And we've had to say the, give the expression, do as I say and not as I do. We've all been in that situation. And I'm thankful that God, our Heavenly Father, is never in that situation when it comes to love. He doesn't have to say, just do what I say and not what I do. But he says, look what I've done and how I've loved you. And out of that model, you love one another. And that's where John goes last. He says, God, not only is a source, the model, but he commands it. It's not, a, it's not a, if I want to, if I like to, if I like the people I go to church with, if I get along with them, if, we're all the, if we all like the same things and, you know, the same age group and generation and background and like, like the same sports teams, um, you know, it's, 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 it's this command to love. It's not an option for us. 
but he really commands it. And, and John says that in verse 11 of chapter 4. He says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And there's the command. There's, it's that word ought. And again, the, the, the idea isn't like this external God the Father just saying, you need to do this or else. But do you notice what he said there first? Dear friends, he, he provides the motivation, the drive. Why do we love? How can I love people? How can we love one another here at Hope Church? We can love one another because God has loved us first. And there's been this internal change in me that then motivates me to love one another. To love people, again, that are different than me, different ages, races, ethnicities, backgrounds, generations, genders. It doesn't matter. We love because first, how God has loved us. That's the motivation. That's what drives us. Not because God just commands it, but he provides, because of the work he's already done, the motivation to do it. So, so we need to ask, I think, a very important question. Why in the world does this matter? Why does John and other authors of the Bible, why does Jesus talk about loving one another? Why does he say that? to his disciples like the night before he's arrested and, and betrayed, arrested and tried and killed and crucified. Like, why does Jesus talk about it? Why does Paul talk about it? Why does John talk about it? Why does Peter talk about it? Why does it matter in the great scheme of things what's going on in our nation? Does it matter that Hope Church loves one another? And I think John provides an answer. It's in verse 12. Why this is important. John says, no one has ever seen God. This isn't the first time John has said this. He actually said it back in the book of John, the, the gospel account, in chapter 1, verse uh, 18. He says, no one has seen God. And what he's, what he's, the statement he's making there isn't a, um, this is what God is like type statement. But what he's saying is, th this is how God is then known. And what he talks about in John chapter 1, verse 18, he says, no one has seen God, but God the one and only, talking about Jesus, revealed who God is to people. That's how God is made known through Jesus. So now, what about us, the fo followers of Jesus, the church? He says in verse 12, and how it connects to love. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, if we love one another, that's how God is made known. It's a missional kind of love that it's not just for us, but that as people watch us love one another, they are seeing the very character of God. And that's what John says. God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It reaches its goal. God loves his people, his people love one another, and the world watches and they see God. And they get a picture of who God is. It's interesting that Jesus said a similar thing to his disciples in John 13. He said this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. 
if you love one another. Friends, you and I, in the way we love one another, we have the privilege of making the invisible God visible. This is what we get to do. People, your neighbors, my neighbors, friends, people you go to school with, people you go to the gym with, people you hang out with, people are wondering, what in the world is God like? What is God like? I can't see, I can't see him. I can't, you know, I just can't see God. One of the ways people see God is the way the church loves each other. And they see it. And I think it's honestly attractive because I genuinely believe people long for love. I genuinely believe that. All people, all walks of life long for love. This type of love that we're talking about. And we as the church have an opportunity to show it through the way we love one another. I think these words from 1 John are so timely, especially in the midst of what we as a nation are experiencing. God's timing is so interesting. We planned this sermon series months ago. And we have the events of the last few weeks. And here we're talking about love. God's timing. We're going to respond today. I'm going to invite the worship team to make their way up, maybe a little differently. And we're actually going to lead us through a prayer. And it might seem a little uh, structured and kind of with some form and a formula, if you will, but, but it's really going to be a response, a call and response type of prayer. And we believe the purpose of these types of prayer and response times are just to simply affirm the truth of Scripture as a community, as a body, as a community of faith, to make for prayer for key areas of a need that we face. These types of communal prayers allow us to sense that we join together as one body and ask, pray, and call out to God together. So what will happen if you're unfamiliar is up on the screen in a moment, there'll be a, a call and a response. I'll read the call and you just respond. And it's, it's from a heart that just is longing and praying that these things would happen. I'm going to invite you to stand and we'll pray this. We'll recite this together and, and then we'll sing a song. So let me start by reading this. You sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, into the world so that we may have spiritual life. This was done because you reached out to each one of us knowing fully who we are and what is in us because a door has been opened in our hearts and we now have a capacity to love others because Lord, we confess those moments this week when our attitudes and our actions did not reflect your love. We receive your forgiveness because we know that as we face moments that challenge us to love well, May your spirit empower us in supernatural ways so that people can see through us that when we look around at what one person does to another person and one group of people does to another group of people, 
we know the only hope for those people is to experience the reality that we grieve the many situations that have that arise within the church that have caused people to doubt that and God just as you sent your son into the world not to judge it but to love it we know you will be sending us as missionaries into situations where people need to know that and let's read together this last statement last prayer here when the world sees us love one another, they will know that God is love. We're going to use a song as a way to respond. And just want to let you know if some of you might feel the need maybe just to pray, pray at your seat or pray even up here at the front. The front of our sanctuary is always open as a space for prayer. If you just need to come and just be alone and listen and pray, this space is always available for you. We just want to ask God through the song as we prepare to leave to walk with us as we go from this place.
just bow your head and for 30 seconds allow your soul to be in a place where you receive the love of God. Friends, the reality is this. As you think about your own life and where you see in your own life the greatest lack of love, where is it in your own life that you think, I don't love well in this place? The reality is you can't try hard enough or work hard enough. Based on the teaching today, your transformation in the area where you show the, the, the least love, you need to experience love. And so I just pray now that the Spirit of God would open up doors this week that in the vital places within your own life where you need to experience the love of God, that door would open so that you can be transformed. Every time you see a lack of love in your own life, the prayer you should say is not, Lord, I'm going to try harder. Oh, that I may experience your love. And so Hope Church, as you go this week, may you be surprised at the ways the Spirit of God opens up the door for you to encounter the divine love of God. God's blessings be upon you.